Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 9. We'll read a few verses here, verses 1 through 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. The Lord begins here saying, Hear, O Israel. This is God speaking to Moses, Moses speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And he says, Israel, pay close attention to this. Listen up and pay close attention. That word here is used over 50 times within the book of Deuteronomy. The nation of Israel constantly had to be reminded to hear the word of the Lord. And that's the same thing for us here this evening. We need to be reminded to hear the word of the Lord. We know that the just shall live by faith. And those that live by faith need to be reminded to sit down and hear the word of the Lord. We know that Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you hearing? Are you taking in God's word? You see, God was about to do something incredible through the nation of Israel. And because God was going to do something incredible through them, he needed them to pay very close attention to what he was about to tell them. It's like if you've ever worked with heavy machinery or something that's a bit dangerous. If you've ever worked with a chainsaw for your first time ever. I hope the first time you worked with a chainsaw, your dad or whatever guy in your life just said, here, take this and go do that, right? I hope he gave you more instructions than that. Hey, this is how you turn it on. Keep the blade away from you. This is how you lock it for safety. Lock it when you're not using it. Give you a bit more instruction because you're handling something that is powerful, something that is dangerous in a sense. And this great task of taking over the Anakim was something that was great, something that was mighty, something that was going to be wonderful. But if Israel did not pay close attention to the Lord, it would harm them. It would destroy them. It would get to their heads if you understand what I'm saying. It would just lead to more and more pride. God was sending Israel on a mission against people far greater and far mightier than they were. A people who were great and tall, descendants of giants. They were going to go in and take over cities that were more fortified and larger than they could ever handle. 
And this is a group of slaves that have been in the wilderness for 40 years. We know that this entering into the promised land for us as believers, it's not getting into heaven, it's getting into the blessed life. And the way we enter into the blessed life is just by being obedient to the word of God, but it is God that knocks down these giants for us. A great proverb, if you're dealing with sin and temptation, is Proverbs chapter 7. And in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 26, it says, She has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. All who were slain by sin, all who were slain by temptation were strong men. There have been men and women far stronger than us, far more powerful than us, have much more spiritual gifts than we do, and yet they've been destroyed by sin and by the things in this world. How much more do we need to press into the Lord realizing just how weak we are? We can be reminded of Matthew chapter 19 verse 26. How Jesus looked to his disciples and he said to them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God tells Israel that they're nothing. And the people that they're about to go into are greater and mightier than them. Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? So what confidence do we see God instilling within the Israelites? Is God telling them how great they are, how mighty they are, what wonders they did in Egypt? God is giving them zero confidence within themselves. Their confidence wasn't to be in themselves. Their confidence needed to be in the Lord. We can turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we see this is exactly what Paul tells us here in our New Testament life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Then he says in verse 7 and 8, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Our confidence needs to be rooted in Christ Jesus. And everything else that we may put our confidence in needs to be counted as rubbish Put to the side and place that confidence back into Jesus Christ. Back into Deuteronomy chapter 9, in verse 1 and 2, he tells them, Hey, you're nothing and you're going to go fight against this huge army, huge cities, and huge people. However, in verse 3, he tells them, Understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. 
He's telling them, Israel, in view of this, in view of how small you are and how great these giants and these armies are, in view of how weak we are in our flesh and how great sin and temptation is, we need to understand it is the Lord, our God, who will destroy them and bring them down. Proverbs 21 verse 31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord This is why Israel needed to drive them out and destroy them quickly. You see how the Lord tells them that? Drive them out and destroy them quickly. We know the the balance of Scripture. John 15, 5, Jesus tells us, without him, we can do nothing. That's one end of the spectrum. What's the other end of the spectrum? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not through myself, it is through Christ who strengthens me. That's why he's the one that goes first. He goes before us. As that consuming fire, he destroys them and he brings them down. But then Israel needed to drive them out and destroy them. How? Quickly. Quickly. You're going to see that word quickly pop up over and over and over again in this chapter. When Israel is quick to turn away from the Lord and when Israel should have been quick to destroy and put away these evil people in their lives. In, the, in our Bible reading this week was 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 4 and 5. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Right? Do, do you see yourself as a spiritual giant? That's a bad place to be. Right? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's what happens. But if we continue to see that our sufficiency is from God and Him alone, as long as we stay small in our own eyes, God can continue to do mighty things through us. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God will destroy them. God will bring them down. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly. Anytime we think of the word quickly, just say it out loud, right? Just say it out loud. You see, when it comes to our sanctification and so much within this life, we get to be co-laborers with God. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, it says, We then, as workers together with Him... Also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God bestows his grace upon us. But now we need to do our part. We are co-laborers with God. And our sanctification is a joint effort. He gives us the power to do it. But then we must finish the job. I always think of Jonathan and his armor bearer dealing with the Philistines when it comes to us and our sanctification. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 12, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Does Jonathan just stop here and just start praising the Lord? Lord, you delivered them into our hand. 
Not at all. It says then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and on his knees with the armor bearer after him. And then they fell down before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Jonathan's giving glory to the Lord. Hey, the Lord has delivered them into our hands. But there is more work for Jonathan to do and more work for his armor bearer to do. With our sanctification, the Lord has delivered us from sin. Read Romans chapter 6. But then we must allow the Lord to knock down our sins. But then we, as that armor bearer, must finish the job. I tell the young adults all the time, we must be merciless when it comes to our sins. We must be merciless when it comes to our sins. We need to finish the job with every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And we must do it quickly as the Lord has said to us. We must do it quickly. Why? Because four, verse 4 through 6 tell us why. God warns them, hey, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you saying it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprighteousness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Don't know too many people that say Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6. That's my life verse, right? <laughs> it's not because of your righteousness. In fact, you are a stubborn people. Don't get it twisted. You are not that great. That's what Scripture is telling us here. We by ourselves, we are terrible. We are terrible. Ezekiel 36 verse 32. The Lord says, It's not for your sake that I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities... I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Here within the Old Testament, we see the grace of God. Just the unmerited, undeserved grace of God. Israel has been such a stubborn group of people. And if we are honest, have we not been stubborn as believers? For many of us, did we come to the Lord the first time we heard the gospel? Did we put our sins away the first time we realized, wow, this is a sin, and this is a sin, and this is a sin? Did we just put it away and destroy it quickly, as Scripture says? No, in our stubbornness, we keep going back to the mud over and over and over again. And here it's so interesting because we know that the Lord, when He forgives us, He chooses to forget our sins. Yet here in Deuteronomy chapter 9, God is going to remind Israel of several occasions in their history of their stubbornness. 
in order to humble them, in order, the, in order to remind them to keep their focus on God, and in order to remind them of just how weak they really are. It's so important if we want to win a battle to know your weaknesses, to know your weak points. We are quick to take God's blessings upon our lives and attribute them to our own merit, our own work, and our own sweat. And just like Job's friends, we are so quick when someone else is going through a difficult season in life, it automatically has to be because they are in sin and in rebellion against the Lord their God. We need to keep in mind Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's been his grace, his goodness, not because of our expense, not because of our price, but because of the expense and price of Jesus Christ upon the cross. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it gives us a good mindset that we should have when we're dealing with unbelievers. I know you guys never get frustrated, but sometimes I get frustrated with unbelievers. I know you guys never get frustrated with unbelievers, right? Sometimes you watch the news, you see social media, and you get so frustrated. How could they be so thick-headed? How could they be so foolish? Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is reminding the nation of Israel, it's not because of your righteousness. You guys are a stubborn group of people. It's because of God's goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ when it comes to us in this New Testament living. Verse 7, he tells them, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. From, from the moment the road trip started, you guys have been rebellious against the Lord. All right, how many of you parents have taken your kids to Disney World before, to any theme park? Any parents here, you've taken your kids to a theme park? Do your kids behave perfectly the whole way on the way to the theme park? Right? Some of you guys are talking with one another. Did they? Did they? No, right? They're fighting. There's food getting thrown everywhere. They're not grateful. They're complaining. Imagine if you would, the moment you get to Disney, well, thanks, Mom, I deserve this, right? I deserve you getting into debt $5,000 to take us to see Mickey Mouse, right? No, the whole road trip, you've been provoking the Lord your God to wrath. From the day you left Egypt till today, you've been rebellious against the Lord. God's reminding Israel, you've been kicking and screaming the entire way. 
Do not allow pride to creep in thinking that you are better than the sinful people that God is using you to judge. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, this verse keeps popping up for us as a church. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm reminded of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. One of the stanzas goes like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it with thy spirit from above. Being poor in spirit is not just something before Christ. It is something the whole way until we get to heaven. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he says this. Do you know that God does not save you and me because we are good? We are sinners. He saves us for Christ's sake, not for our sake. Friend, if you think that somehow or other God will find something in you that merits salvation, forget it because you will be disappointed. God knows you and he says he can't find anything righteous in you at all. It is for Christ's sake that God saves us and God finds everything we need in him. How wonderful that is. You see that in this passage of Deuteronomy, there is the seed for the gospel of the grace of God. You, you see, to the, the prideful, to the religious person, they get angry at this. But to those of us, hopefully I'm in that picture right now, to those of us that are broken by our sins and humbled, oh, what joy. Oh, how wonderful that I'm not saved because of my merit, because then I would never be saved, because I would have never deserved it. But if God looks at Christ and then pardons us, oh, what joy we have. The problem is that we are prone to spiritual amnesia. We're prone to spiritual amnesia, but only when it has to do with our own faults and our own failures. We forget about them. However, when someone else falls, when someone else fails, do we forget about it? No, all of a sudden we have an incredible memory. We remember everything. We write down everyone else's sins in stones, and yet our sins we are so quick to forget. We need to always be mindful of how Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I'll give you another one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We are to forgive others in the same way that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And that's why I believe a consistent mind set on Christ's forgiveness for us is so healthy for our spiritual state. If we are always mindful of just how much Jesus has forgiven us, 
He who is forgiven much, loves much, it keeps us healthy spiritually. God did not want Moses reminding the people in order to condemn them. God did not want Moses to remind the people in order to take the wind out of their sails before battle. God did not want Moses to remind the people of their sins so that they could be mopey and whiny and fearful on their way to take the land. God wanted Moses to remind Israel of their weaknesses and of their selective memory when it came to their sins. Because our spiritual amnesia causes us to repeat the same sins and same weak points over and over and over again. We are prone to wander. Because we are prone to forget just how greatly we've sinned against the Lord our God. C.H. McIntosh says this, God does not desire his people to spend their lives grieving over their sins. But neither does he want them to be unconcerned about their obedience. Israel's track record has been consistently rebellious against the Lord through Moses' long association with them. And if we're here and we're saying, man, I've been prone to be rebellious against the Lord, then we should take that into account and say, Lord, help me with this great weakness. We should take that and come to other brothers and sisters and say, brothers, sisters, I am prone to being rebellious when it comes to the things of the Lord. I'm prone to not loving my wife as I should. I'm prone to being a workaholic. I'm prone to pornography. I'm prone to gossip and lying. I'm prone to this, that, or the third. Take those weak points in your faith and get as much help as you can around them instead of allowing the enemy to tempt you to take those weak weak points and hide them from everyone because Satan already knows them to begin with. Take those things and bring them to the Lord your God, and to the family of Christ that can strengthen you. There's so much danger when we forget about the Lord our God and we forget about our sins. Psalm 78 verse 42, speaking of the nation of Israel, he says, They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. A lack of remembering God's grace and power in our lives will lead to rebellion against God in our lives. A lack of remembering God's grace and power in our lives will lead to rebellion against the Lord our God in our lives. That's why in verse 8, Moses goes on and he says, Also in Horeb, You provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written With the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. 
And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and the 40 nights that the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. Parents, I think we've all been there before. You get home and then your wife says or your husband says, do you know what your son did today? Do you know what your daughter said to me today? What does that mean? All of a sudden when our sons and daughters do something bad, they belong to the other spouse, right? They're getting it from the other spouse. That's kind of what the Lord is doing here. The Lord tells Moses, hey, you go down there quickly because your people, your son, whom you brought out of Egypt, has acted corruptly. They have quickly. See that word there? They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Quickly. They quickly turned aside from the way which God commanded them. Perhaps you've forgotten about this timeline. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20 and we'll see just how quick, how powerful, and how damning this timeline is to these Israelites. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1 it says... And God spoke all these words. Right? Time out real quick. Have you ever told someone, man, if I would just hear the voice of the Lord, I wouldn't do that? If I could just hear that audible voice, then I would obey automatically, right? We see here Israel is hearing the audible voice of the Lord from the mountain here. The audible voice of God to the point where they're fearful and they tell Moses, hey, you go talk to him. We don't want to talk to him anymore. Verse 2, this is the audible voice of the Lord speaking to these two million people. Again, how loud does this voice need to be that two million people are all hearing his voice? Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have... No other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You jump to Exodus 24, verse 3, and then verse 7. It tells us that God wrote with his finger on these two tablets the covenant that he and the Israelites made together. So God says his part, hey, don't do this, don't make any gods, have no gods before me, make no idols, don't worship any gods, don't make a carved image that looks like anything from heaven, from earth, or from the water. Exodus 24, 
verse 3 and in verse 7, it says, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. They signed on the dotted line. Then look at verse 7. They signed once again. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read in the hearing of the people. He reads the whole law all over again. And what do they say at the end of verse 7? All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. So they've signed on the dotted line. They've made this covenant with the Lord their God. Now we go to Exodus 32. We're eight chapters from when they said, hey, whatever God says we're going to do, all that God told us before we're going to do and be obedient. We're 12 chapters from God telling them, hey, you're going to have no gods before me. You're going to make no carved images. You're not going to bow down to any carved images. Then in Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, Come. Make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. What does Aaron, the high priest of Israel, do? He, break, he says to them, hey, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears. They brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hands. He fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see how quickly they disobeyed the Lord their God. They saw the pillar of fire by day. They saw the pillar, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They saw the Red Sea torn in two. They saw the whole army of Egypt go inside of it. They saw the Red Sea slam and destroy the entire army of Egypt. They saw the ten plagues over Israel. And yet they were so quick to turn away from the Lord their God. That's why it's so important for us to have a consistent relationship with God. If we just try to go from miracle to miracle, we're quick to turn away from the Lord our God. That's why it's so quick that so important that we are hearing the word of God so that we'd grow our faith. From a few weeks ago, the entire nation heard the voice of God roaring from the mountain. And a few weeks later, they're worshiping a golden calf of their own making. This is why we need to drive them out and destroy them quickly. If not, we will quickly turn aside from the way which he has commanded us. We've all been there. We're in a Bible study. The Lord convicts us. Oh, man, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop cussing. I got to stop doing this. You drive out. You get to A Street. Someone cuts you off. That's it. Gone, right? It's gone. How quickly we turn away. We need to plug into the Lord our God because we are prone to forget. Psalm 106 Verse 19, it gives us a little snippet of everything that we just read. It says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, 
awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot God their Savior. Verse 13, back to Numbers 9, it says, Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I've seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. Here God tests Moses. What kind of a leader was Moses going to be? Was Moses truly a shepherd that intercedes for the sheep, lays his life down for the sheep, is willing to die for the sheep, or was Moses simply a butcher using the sheep for his own gain? He said, hey, Moses, we'll, we'll destroy them. We'll take you. We'll start a new people. We'll give you a new land. We'll call it Motown, and we'll start all over again, right? We'll start all over again. But what does Moses do in verse 15? So I turned and came down from the mountain. He leaves the presence of God to go deal with the sins of the people that are on his heart, that that are in his care. And the mountain burned with fire and the two tablets of the covenant. Again, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments the first time. It was a covenant, a signed covenant from the Lord God. It was in Moses' two hands, and he looked, and behold, and you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a molded calf. You turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. This is why you need to drive them out quickly and destroy them quickly. If not, we will quickly turn aside from the way in which he's commanded us. Then verse 17, it says, Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Now Moses, he gets some bad credit. The only man to ever break all ten commandments at once, right? We've heard that joke before. But it's interesting, a quote from Matthew Poole. And if you look at the next following verses, I believe this is the truth. There's no doubt in Scripture it seems as if Moses has an anger problem. But here, I think he's just broken that Israel has broken their covenant with the Lord their God. God just signed the deal with them. Hey, they agreed to it. I'm going to sign. And before he gets down off the mountain, they've broken their covenant with the Lord their God. Matthew Poole says, not by an unbridled passion, but in zeal for God's honor. And by direction of God's spirit to signify to the people that the covenant between God and them contained in those tablets was broken and made void. And they were now quite cast out of God's favor and could expect nothing from him but fiery indignation and severe justice. This is what God said he was going to do to the nation of Israel. He's going to destroy them. Start all over with Moses, but then what does Moses do? Verse 18, and I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. We see how Moses, he was quick to reveal that he had 
the fear of the Lord. He had the fear of the Lord. He was quick to fast. He was quick to pray. He was quick to repent. And now we're going to see he's quick to crush the idol to powder. And great sin calls for great times of humility. It's a, it's a simple sign. When someone has sinned and you begin talking with them about their sin and there is nothing else but humiliation and brokenness, they are unrepentant of their sin. It's just point blank. When someone has sinned and right away they're starting to say, okay, I didn't do this. Okay, it wasn't that bad. Okay, you got to give me this. They're unrepentant from their sin. When someone falls down before the Lord and is at the point where they don't eat, and they're afraid of God's anger, they're afraid of God's hot displeasure, then you see someone that is truly humbled and broken at their sin. Robert Jameson says, Great and public sins call for seasons of extraordinary humiliation. Are we humiliated at our sin? Are we just broken saying, Man, I can't believe I did this before the Lord my God. I can't believe I did this to him. After he freed me from Egypt, after he destroyed the Egyptian armies, after he's freed me from so much, how can I go back to the pit? Verse 20, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. One of the dumbest excuses I've ever seen in Scripture, right? Moses comes and he calls Aaron out. What are you doing? How did this golden calf get here? What's happening here? Do you know what Aaron tells his brother? Moses, I don't know. We just threw the gold in the fire and out came the calf. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Would you not be angry? And the Lord was angry with Aaron. Aaron went with the fear of the people instead of the fear of the Lord. He went with the fear of the people. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, for church leadership, elders, deacons, pastors, for the priests of the homes here, it says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The chief shepherd, he will appear. And he's going to judge each of us based on how we handled the flock of God. All the teachers, it's an extra harsh judgment there. Verse 21, Moses doesn't just feel bad about the sin. There's action in his repentance. He says in verse 21, Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. He would go on to make them drink this golden dust water, this bitter water that would have wrecked their stomachs and they would have tasted of the wages of their sin. Again, did Moses have mercy on the idolatry? Did he feel bad, man, this is worth so much. You know how much gold is here? Let's melt this down. Let's use it for something else. 
No, he burned it with fire, he crushed it, and he ground it very small until it was fine as dust. Merciless when it comes to our sin. David Guzik, he gives three reasons why Moses burnt the idol, ground it to powder, and then sprinkled it in the people's water. Number one, it was to show that this God was nothing and easily destroyed. The God that they worshipped was pointless, could be destroyed easily. Uh, the second reason why, to completely obliterate this idol. Completely obliterate it. Jesus isn't any more merciful when it comes to sin. What does he say? If your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Cut it off. Is that all you're supposed to do? No. He goes even further. He says, cut off your hand, and then with your other hand, drop the knife, then grab that hand, and then throw it far from you. After you've sinned with the other hand, I guess you got to kick it far from you, right? But that's what he says. There's no mercy there. Something causes you to sin. Cut it off and throw it far from you. Completely obliterate that idol. Final reason why Moses burned the idol, ground it to powder, and sprinkled it in the people's water is to make the people pay an immediate consequence for their sin. A good leader... A good pastor, a good parent allows their children, the people that are under them, to taste of the consequences of their sins. Parents, it's so dangerous for us if we're constantly interceding and never allowing our kids to taste the consequences of their sins. Because then they're going to keep thinking, hey, I could get away with this. Oh, hey, I could get away with this. Hey, I could get away with this. And it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And one of the greatest dangers for many of the young adults here is they are making childlike decisions, and yet there are adult consequences. There's adult consequences once you're 18. And that's why we need to allow our kids to taste of the consequences of their sins and not just dumb down the consequences of them. Verse 22, God continues to remind them. You think he was done? But wait, there's more, right? Also at Taberah and Massa and Kibroth Hata'ava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. At Taberah, you could write down Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. It tells us the people complained and it displeased the Lord. His anger was aroused and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. At Massa in Exodus 17 verse 3, the people doubted that God even cared for them. Could you imagine someone like that? Doubting that God cared for them. In Exodus 17 verse 3 it says, The people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And then finally, Kibroth Hata'ava in Numbers 11 verse 34, this is where the people murmured about the manna and began whining for meat. It says that the Lord was going to make the meat, the quail meat, come out of their nostrils. One of those great verses to write on someone's wedding card to see if they actually read the verse or not, right? Verse 23 and 24. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious 
against the Lord from the day that I knew you. In Kadesh Barnea, you can read about that in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. This is where they sent the 12 spies into the land. And the men made a bad report of the land. Ten of them said, hey, we're not able to go up against these people. They are stronger than we are. But Joshua and Caleb trusted in the Lord their God. And now Joshua and Caleb are going to be the only men from the original group that's going to be able to enter into the promised land. Verse 25, Moses once again, the meekest man, the most humble man. I don't know how many of us would do this again. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on their stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness or their sin. Here we get some biblical prayers here. If you have a prodigal, if you have a son or daughter that's not saved, don't be praying, Lord, they're a good person. Lord, bueno gente, right? Bueno gente, they're a good kid. No, you don't see any of this here. Moses wrestles with God and pleads with him for, number one, his greatness. Lord, your glory. Lord, save them for your glory. Then in verse 27, was it because of their goodness, because of their faith? No. Lord, remember your servants. Lord, save them because of the faithfulness and the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, don't look at their stubbornness or the wickedness of their sin. Verse 28 and 29, lest the land from which you brought us out should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet, they're your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and your outstretched arm. Again, this is why we should be praying to the Lord to, man, have mercy on us and to have mercy on the people we love that aren't saved because of his faithfulness, because of his word, because of his glory. Not because of them, not because of us, not because of their goodness or merit, not because of our goodness and merit. It's all because of his glory, his power, and his might. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Worship team, you can come up. And closing this up, I can think of no better example than Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. Paul was constantly aware of and thinking of his life before he came to know Christ. Yet it did not lead him to be the Eeyore type of believer. It did not lead him to just sit in a corner and mope or be sad about himself or say, I can't do these great things for the Lord. No, instead it put a fire in his belly to serve the Lord all the more. We know that he says, hey, the grace of God that was bestowed on me, I did not want to take it in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And not me, 
Christ in me. Again, just Paul such an incredible example of this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This is long after coming back to the Lord. This is after planting churches and being shipwrecked for the sake of the gospel, being a missionary for the gospel, and yet he still says, Hey, I am the chief of sinners. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So if that's you, maybe you are prone to condemn yourself. Hey, you got to start working for the Lord. You got to accept your past sins. And now you got to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And you need to forgive yourself as Christ has forgiven you. But then now after that, labor. Don't allow God's grace upon your life to be a waste. But just remember the weak points in your life. For each of us, remember the weak points in your life. Maybe you've been overly harsh on another believer this week. Hey, forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. So, hey, let's all stand and we'll pray and close in worship. Lord, we thank you that you do not hide the weaknesses and the bad decisions and the stubbornness and the sins of your people and of the people you use mightily, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, I think I'm not the only one, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would please use me mightily for your glory, God. That you would use all of us mightily for your glory, Lord. That others would be able to see that you're able to do mighty things in the life of a sinner. In the life of the chief of sinners, Lord. Lord, help us to be in that great balance, Lord, of not just condemning ourselves with our past and with our sins, but, Lord, not being blinded or having that spiritual amnesia to our sins, Lord. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Help us to do these things, Lord. And if there's things we need to ask forgiveness for, Lord, if there's sins we need to confess, Lord, help us to be biblical and obedient to your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord. Lord, please use us, God. We want to be used by you, Lord. We want to see more men and more women saved. Lord, we want to see more biblical churches, God. Lord, would you use us mightily, God? Help us, Lord. And just thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Thank you for the joy of being able to gather together as saints and as believers so that we can stir up one another, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.